The following program contains mature language and spoilers. Listener discretion advised. I dig on the comics. I guess I still dig them when I'm six by six. Digging my kicks. Digging on the comics. I like to save them. And I like to trade them. I read them. I need them. I'm living every page. Now, this is a film that's based on a comic book. You have said you are not a comic book fan. I'm not a Marvel fan. You're not a Marvel fan? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Are you a DC guy? Uh, I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> You're not a comic book fan. <laughs> that's what it means. When you take a standard issue, what we call now a floppy comic book, what you think of when you think of a comic book, when you take one of those and you fold it backwards so that the back cover and the front cover are touching and you hold it with one hand by where the staples are, you're reading that comic. You're not being delicate with it. You're doing what you're supposed to do with a comic book. But when you do that, you often cause that book to take on a permanent bend into an L shape. The industry term, technical term for that, is a spine roll. If you give a comic book a rolled spine, you're probably going to have to sell it for under guide value. Comic book collectors want pristine copies of their comic books, mint copies, ones that have never been read, that they can put in a piece of plastic, slab it, so that no one ever touches it. Ideally, it hasn't even been touched by human hands. Obviously, the people who create comic books want you to read the things. They don't want it to be a junk bond sitting in a drawer somewhere. Comic books aren't meant to be precious. They're pop art. They're junk culture. But they're our culture. If you're listening to this podcast, it's your culture. Most people, when they talk about comic books, they're talking about the so-called big two, Marvel Comics and DC Comics. But Marvel Comics was an also-ran for the first 30 years of its existence. And then DC Comics has been at best the number two publisher, often less than the second best publisher in terms of popularity, sales, quality, since the 1970s. One of the longest-term big dogs in the comic industry was Dell. They had all the best TV licenses, movie licenses. They did all the Disney comic books. But what happened is they were competing for audience with television. People who wanted to read a Donald Duck comic book could instead watch Donald Duck on their television screen and they didn't even have to pay for it. So Dell went the way of the dinosaurs eventually. And that was the biggest dog in the industry for decades. There's another less common term, a little bit more vague, in comic books called underguide. And what that's referring to is a book that's priced in a comic shop or online for less than what the official guides like Overstreet say that that book is worth. It strikes us, though, that the entire comic book industry, besides Marvel and DC, is undervalued by the general public. As comic aficionados, as fans of the art form and the medium, we'd like to have a podcast out there that covers the entire rest of the industry, besides the so-called big two, besides just superheroes, that we'll cover them as well. And for that purpose, we will be your underguides. The Eel Mac. I'm telling you, this is your podcast. Mr. Joe Fix-It. In your face like a can of mix. I, I, and myself, Frank. Jim Valentino says, hey, so what if I told you that Rob Weifeld, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Mark Silvestri, Wils Pertasio, and myself were starting our own comic book company? I am telling you, it is the definition between an entrepreneur and an employee. The employee goes to the cliff, looks over the cliff, says, is there a balloon down there to catch me? Will I be safe? The entrepreneur, they said, we need you to jump off the cliff, backs up 10 feet to get a fucking run at it. <laughs> they can replace you one at a time, but you leave in mass, 
and all of a sudden there's an impact. Todd was told that we would never be able to make the company work because we were a bunch of stupid artists that didn't know how to run a business. And Todd's response was, we're just stupid enough to try. With six comics, we were the number two publisher. Live from the world's financial capital, New York City, this is Moneyline with Lou Dobbs. Marvel Entertainment fell three and a quarter today, closing at 49 and a half. The reason, some people say, is because of what you're about to see. Word got out that CNN was doing a story on a brain drain at Marvel Comics, and that hit the stock. Eight artists are jumping ship for a competitor. Some investors did the same. Greg Lamott reports from Los Angeles. This is out there, Youngblood. He's the man behind the nation's best-selling comic book, folks. Just out on the stands today. It's called Youngblood, and here's its creator, Rob Liefeld. Rob! all the money he earned as a kid to buy comic books. Well, he's still a kid, but 26-year-old cartoonist Rob Liefeld now has comic books earning him lots of money. Two years ago, he stunned the highly competitive comic book world by starting his own company, Image Comics, which has become one of the most successful in the industry, spearheaded by his creation of the super popular Young Blood series. And he is now developing a movie with none other than Steven Spielberg. Not bad for a guy who once had to hide his comic collection from his parents. You know who the new writer of Spawn is, don't you? Nah. Paul Jenkins. Of Spawn? They're going to do that relaunch book that Brian Wood was going to do. And then apparently he quit because Tommy McFarlane was trying to dictate to him what he was going to do. So now Paul Jenkins is going to take over Spawn. I'm curious now, should I even try to... Well, it's just like when David Hine did it. You get interested and you want to read it. And then it ends abruptly and Tommy McFarlane oh. comes in and tries to redo it all over again. Do it the right way. Well, I remember up. you gave me some Spawn issues a while back. Oh, oh those, ones, those were the worst, weren't they? That was the that's like some of the worst comics I've ever read in my entire it, life. It's so ugly. The worst look. You well, not only that, it. the dialogue was horrific. It felt sometimes like the characters weren't even talking to each other. A would say this. B would say this. C would say this. A would say this. But the dialogues didn't match. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Yeah, I read two of them, and I was like, I'm done with this shit. They yeah, Tom McFarlane wrote those, and I don't think he was using it at that point, but he actually was writing the book under a pseudonym for a while. Right? Yeah. Oh, horrible. So I really like Paul Jenkins, though. I might... Uh. Yeah. Spawn is a concept I like. I want to support Spawn. And Tom McFarlane does everything he can to make sure that I don't do it. He fucks over writers, and he fucks over artists, and he takes books back from people after they start doing interesting stuff, but it's not his vision. I want to read Spawn, but I've been burned so many times, it's hard for me to get the gumption up to even try again. Yeah, Tom, leave the book alone, man. Did you guys see uh, Leftfeld's quick little rant about Tom McFarlane? I saw your retweet. Yeah, I retweeted. I think it was pretty fucking interesting. What was it? Because people keep trying to say the Todd McFarlane created an image. To paraphrase what Raul Lefeld does, he was like, no, that was me. Was it Valentino? Jim Valentino. Who were the other? Eric Larson. But and it, was, it was just the three of them at first. Yeah, he, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because he said that he, the people, Tom McFarlane, they, I think he was saying that Tom McFarlane himself was trying to say that he was the guy who started the image. And yeah, he, he, he was like, Tom McFarlane jumped on fourth after me, Eric Larson, and, and Jim Valentino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he said, you shouldn't give, but he was good to say that he wasn't trying to shit on Tom McFarlane. He was trying to say, you better just get the facts right. Don't try and make up yeah. the shit because this was this was a big jump for us to go do this. But he said what you need to do is make sure that you give Todd McFarlane proper credit for the action figure industry about how he completely revolutionized action figures. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the shit 
pre Todd McFarlane and the shit after Todd McFarlane, it's like not even. It's night and day. It's he absolutely revolutionized. Oh, definitely raised the bar. And action. Oh, raise the bars. I mean, you look at those shit. We're just looking at some of those. You can literally see some of those shitty figures were coming out at the exact same time as those Todd McFarlane figures, and it's like, oh my god, like yeah. this stuff is art. And you could go buy it for you know they were a little more expensive. But. They were a lot more expensive. Action figures are a lot more expensive now because of McFarlane, but they're a lot better, too. So he was like, at least give credit. Give him well, – he deserves credit, but give him the proper credit. Yeah, here, here's the argument that could be made is that Tom McFarlane was very militant about going independent and getting away from the big two and doing his own thing. McFarlane was also talking about retiring from comic books for a few years, kind of recollecting himself and deciding what he wanted to do and everything. But he had influenced Rob Liefeld and made him more militant about going off, breaking off on his own. Liefeld was going to do a sketchbook. I think it was going to be with Malibu, where he was going to show not only the X-Men artwork, but also his own characters. I think he had a guy called the Executioner or some shit like that that he wanted to show off. And he was looking at doing a miniseries about that character as well that wouldn't be at Marvel. Marvel got all pissed off at him and forced the cancellation of, I believe, the art book and anything related to it. That's when he decided that he was going to go ahead and start doing Youngblood. It's true that Rob Liefeld named the company Image and he designed the logo. And it's funny because there was a chlorine company, full chlorine, named Image with a very similar logo. I think that's worth pointing out. Okay, so here, so let me just read this quickly. It says, Image, and this is from Rob Liefeld's Twitter account, at Robert Liefeld. Image Comics, and this is parentheses, named and designed by me, so it's funny you just said that, <laughs> was a movement started by myself, Eric Larson, Jim Valentino, Todd McFarlane jumped on board. I keep reading about other guys starting Image Comics, and it makes me laugh. Todd wanted Image to run through Dark Horse after I solicited Youngblood, the first Image comic, through Malibu Comics. Let's keep the history as accurate and on point as possible. Many witnesses. Youngblood 1 through 3 solicited alone for three months, so, uh, Spawn solicited after, and then Dragon, etc. Image Comics was, is, in strength by numbers, but it was conceived by myself, Eric, and Valentino. Yeah, I've got a lot of love for Image. They really turned me off back in the day because I felt very burned by Image Comics. But in the years since, they're the comic company. In my mind, everybody else is secondary to Image because they give you the best deal and they've got most of the, the more innovative, their creators have the greatest potential to write through and keep the industry going. I don't think that Marvel and DC can keep the industry going. Image potentially can. nobody wants to create shit for them anymore. Be yeah, because if you want to be a comic book creator and you want to have control of your properties and you don't want to have to give a piece to another company, everybody else wants some kind of piece. If you go through Dark Horse, Dark Horse is going to take some of your media rights. If you go through Boom, they're going to take some of your rights. I think IDW will give you a deal. I don't know what their terms are, but their books are just somewhat less desirable. They don't seem to attract the same caliber of talent. Their price points are much higher. Because at this point, Image Comics even sell for cheaper than Marvel and DC. Shit, really? Yeah, yeah. Are most of these books, no, they have they have equal or superior paper quality, and they're selling for two fifty, three dollars, three fifty. Where standard price at Marvel is four bucks, and DC is getting $4 close to four dollars for yeah. a twenty-page comic book. Nice. Meanwhile, most of your image launch books will give you additional pages for no additional cost. All their first volume trades that are going to be going anywhere are typically nine ninety nine introductory price. Well, no, the image trades are right because I've I've read quite a few of them. And the first one's always ten bucks, and then the next one is regular price. Right, but the thing is, their regular I mean, price is still. Read, you don't mind taking that leap? No, it's not just that. Their regular price is still cheaper than Marvel and DC. Most Marvel and DC trades nowadays are about twenty fucking dollars. Most image trades are like fifteen plus dollars. So not only are you getting more pages of a higher quality of content, a higher quality of presentation, it's usually at a lower price. Image fucking kicks ass. I love that company. And most of my purchases are coming from that company these days. And most of the interesting comic books. These are words that when I collect comic books, you would have never said. No, exactly. But image, I always love the image idea 
that this was a company where as long as you're because that the, the main issue with image, the reason why everybody doesn't just try to work with image is they don't give you any money up front. You've got to fucking pay to get that book together, and then you've got to pay them an office fee to publish through Image, and then you don't get paid until your book sells. Other companies give you upfront money, and then you get a piece of your property, usually in perpetuity. They're going to have media rights or some other claim, and they'll give you your upfront money, and you'll free to own it, but you probably will have issues with moving it to another company. There's all kinds of complications with that. The other companies that give you that kind of deal, like Fanagraphics, they don't have anywhere near the industry presence. They don't have anywhere near the push. Image will get you into bookstores. Fanagraphics is going to struggle to do something like that. Drawn and Quarterly will struggle to do something like that. They may be able to get you into Hot Topic, although I'm not so sure these days. But nobody offers the kind of deal where you get the kind of visibility, the production quality, the industry know-how, because not only can they promote your book better than most anybody else, but they will help you to get your book printed the way that you want it to be done. And they have the heft to get it done in a timely fashion where some publishers will book everything for you, they'll set everything up for you, but then you're on the back end of the print schedules and your shit comes out late just because your shit's getting bumped for other people who are higher priority than you. Nobody offers the kind of deal that Image does. They don't want anything to do with your property. They publish it. They get their share of whatever the books make because they're printing the books and they're publishing the books for you, but nobody offers as good of a deal. And that's why their shit keeps getting optioned too because the best creators produce their best work in Image Comics. Wow. It makes sense, though. Yeah, it's, it's like the best it's, deal. It's basically an incentive-based program, and because you have to put up so much of an investment up front, you're invested. You have to be successful enough in, a, in the comic industry to support yourself in the time it takes for your book to get out there, and it still has to make money because the book doesn't make money. You don't make money. Other publishers will pay you, but you're going to lose something in the deal. And if it's something hot, then you're screwed. It's not that you're screwed. You'll still be able to make some money off of it. But you've got this middleman that's always going to get in the way of you getting something done. They may be able to help you. Dark Horse can be very helpful at getting stuff made. You, you may not appreciate how many comic book properties have been adapted through the efforts of Dark Horse. But they're going to get a cut of the media the entire time. Sometimes I think they even get all the media, depending on what kind of deal was cut. So, like, those Sin City movies, I don't know what kind of deal they cut with Frank Miller, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were getting a piece of that. And he's fucking Frank Miller. I like that we were talking about Image Comics, because I remember when they first came out, Rob Layfield doing the Levi's commercial. I've never been a big Layfield fan. And I was a fan of his back then. He was, I he was one of my favorites back in the day. I do remember going to Phoenix Comics and buying Spawn issue number one, and everyone going crazy about Spawn. Oh and God. Like, God. Spawn number one. So it was like a, a, a nuclear bomb went yeah, off in the I, comic book world. I remember I that. I don't know. But Youngblood was huge. I mean, it was. Get, well, not spawn spawn well, no, the thing is, is I, I think it was the same thing that happened with Liefeld during the big X revolution. X-Force comes out and it sells like 2 million copies. And all of a sudden, or, or no, it sells even more than that. Because McFarlane came out with, with Spider-Man and that sold 2 million copies. And then I think X-Force came along and said something like 2.5 or 3 million copies. So for like a month or two, Rob Liefeld was the best-selling comic book artist of all time. And then Jim Lee's X-Men comes along and sells like 5 to 7 million yeah, copies. And I remember that annihilates too. any other previous Yeah, but that was because that fucking multi-cover bullshit. Yeah, and the reason why X-Men sold so well is because of the fucking trading cards bound into it. The reason why Spider-Man sold so well is because they did multiple color variations on the book that everybody was trying to collect. They all had gimmicks tied into yeah. it. It wasn't just the artist. But then you go to Image, Rob Liefeld comes out with Youngblood. It's the number one selling independent comic book ever. It sold over a million copies and then four months later Spawn comes out and it sells like two plus million copies and annihilates Youngblood's record. But it was still a huge deal when Youngblood came out. Yeah, it was. I just remember... I remember I, going to the comic shops and they would just have a fucking stack of that book. And everybody yeah. was grabbing a couple of copies of it, it seemed like. I just remember going to a comic shop and two guys arguing over the fact that Spawn was white. 
when they revealed when he was on the cross and he revealed that was a big deal right when they finally unmasked yeah well when you find out that he was actually a black man but when he turned human he was a white guy now Bulger fucked him over Spawn had the power to turn himself back into a living being who looked appealing but the problem is is now Bulger stuck his soul into another guy's body so when he recuperated the body it ended up being a blonde haired white guy when he in his heart and soul was a black man yeah. he was wanting to rekindle his romance with his black wife and, and I just yeah. remember the dudes at the shop were fucking near to fist over it they were just so angry I'm just like spawn like that big that these two dudes yeah. are ready to go he was. to fist fight over I mean, well, I, they're willing to fist fight over the race of Spawn, which yeah. makes them kind of terrible human beings. Also, well, no, like I said, I don't know what they're. Fighting. I just remember that that subject kept coming up over and over. But then I remember when you had what Frank or uh, Frank Miller wrote an issue, Gaiman wrote an issue, Alan Moore and Dave Alan Sim. Moore. Yeah, everybody, and I remember the Alan Moore one was my favorite one. That was a different levels of hell, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't like that one. I liked much. it, dude. That's where the show Kid K finally. I tried all the Image launch books. I was surprised because I really didn't like McFarlane and Spider-Man when it first got started. That first arc, Torment, mm-hmm. was shit. But I liked most of the ones that came afterwards. The Ghost Rider story, the one with Wolverine and Canada by the Wendigo. Those were pretty cool. So I tried Spawn just because I was trying all the Image books. The first couple of issues seemed like they were okay. It just seemed like he couldn't get any traction on the premise. And I was losing interest. I was just about to drop it. And then they announced that the writer series, I think they called it, with those four writers. I figured, okay, well, nothing else. I'll stay with the book until these guys are done with their stories. The Alan Moore story didn't do much for me. The Neil Gaiman story that introduced Angela was okay. I loved the Dave Sim story. Yeah. Where he's using Spawn as Cerebus turns up in that one as well, doesn't yeah, he? he does. And uh, they're touring their independent view of mainstream comics and how all these characters are imprisoned yeah, by the companies the that run them. Yeah. And the creators have, like, sacks over their heads and they're being dumped into a pit when they're no longer of use and just very militant. It was cool. Like, great. I think I still, I think that's the only original issue of Spawn I still own that I bought new off the stand. And then the last issue was by Frank Miller and it was fucking garbage. Yeah, the gang war or whatever. Yeah, it was so shitty. <laughs> it's just like, it, just, uh, it was just this great big fart in the room after these other guys had done some fairly good work and the Davidson issue was so acclaimed. I think it even won an Eisner or some shit. I mean, people really dug that issue and then Frank Miller just fucking soils the whole thing at the end of it. He's <laughs> just a big shit stain on the pants of Spawn. Like you, you, went back, you went back and you started reading Savage Dragon, didn't you? I was buying Savage Dragon when it was coming out. I bought the original miniseries and I bought a couple or three issues of the ongoing series. And what happened is I liked it okay, but by the time the ongoing series started, I was the bloom was really off the roads of image, and I just didn't like it enough to stick with it. Because that's the thing with Savage Dragon. I respect that series. I respect how long it's run by one creator doing, you know, the our art, major yeah. grade of lifting on the book. I don't mind his being controversial, doing sensationalistic stuff, like having God himself come down, punch the devil and say, don't fuck with God. Yeah. I don't mind the sex stuff. You heard about the most recent issue, issue 200, right? No. You know that Malcolm Dragon, the son of Savage Dragon and Rapture, okay. has grown up and he's now an adult, right? Okay. No, I didn't. So he's a high school senior and he's grown up with a stepsister who's the daughter of Gart. Okay. So he ends up hooking up with this little Asian girl. They have sex. The stepsister walks in on them and they manage to talk the stepsister into having a menage a trois. They manage to not only have these underage kids running around half naked and of course talking frankly about sex, they manage to draw out the bomb that Malcolm Dragon is apparently really hung. The two girls have to really work to accommodate him being young as they are and inexperienced oh as they God. are. That's so, an issue 200? That's an issue 200, oh yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> and also uh, it has a story teaming up the Savage Dragon and Malcolm Dragon back in the 1940s where I think they tried to redo a uh, Jack Kirby image to feature the Savage Dragon and they got Herb Trump to draw the actual story related to the image. Wow, really? How old is Herb Trump now? Uh, he's not as old as you would think, considering he's been working since the early 70s. Internet, save us! I'm gonna, I have to go back and reread the Savage yeah. Dragon. Savage Dragon is so your kind of fucking book, man. Well, no, I remember I stuck with it for about the first 30 issues. Maybe yeah, before. I want to like Savage Dragon more than I do. I try to read it, and it's a little too juvenile for me. As much as I appreciate... Fuck you. I'm back to that gear. Fuck you! <laughs> as much as I appreciate the audacity of the kind of shit that Eric Larson pulls, the book on a monthly basis doesn't do it for me. I picked up that archive, and I read it. And I thought it was okay, and then I gave it to you because I knew I didn't want to ever read it again. And that was the thing when they did the aliens tops. Oh, Mars attacks. Yeah, Savage Dragon. When, uh, that's kind of where they lost me. That's the time. Seventy-five years old. Yeah, that's not as old as I thought. Don't look yeah. over forty-five. He looks like the fucking the old man from Crypt Keepers. The Crypt Keepers. No, he looks like the what was his name? Kill man from Poltergeist. Kane from Poltergeist. Oh my god, that's horrible, dude. All are welcome. All are welcome. Came to Poltergeist. I just realized that <laughs> none of the rest of my family is not here tonight, so I'm going to sleep in this house by myself, and I should not have brought up that. <laughs> the plant is going to scrape on the window or something in the middle of the night, and I'm going to dream about him standing over the foot of the bed. Fucking freak. You don't have to have any clown dolls around here, do you? So check this out. <laughs> I don't. Just think about it. I don't, but listen. All so welcome. someone I work with has a screensaver, and it's like their young child in like a mariachi out there or something. But I sit far enough away that all I see is the silhouette with the black hat and the black um, jacket. And I stood it freaks me out. And I feel like it's came from Poltergeist watching me while I work. <laughs> all are well done. It is so... All and he's got this like... He's got this like big exaggerated smile on his face. Uh-huh. And it makes it look like he from Poltergeist is staring at me from across. You're gonna sleep here tonight by yourself, man. Yeah. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> wow. You. I don't know what I'm gonna do now. <laughs> Bruce is loving coffee. ASAP. Pekita didn't want me to be here too late tonight, and I have a feeling I'm not gonna make it out until dawn. Oh, don't leave me. Really? Hey. <laughs> no, I'm just making fun. Oh, okay, Poor guy. I feel sympathy for him. That's some scary shit. Yeah, I'm trying to see what's scary shit. I'm smart, and I'm your friend, and I know what you are thinking. Now, let me in. Let's talk about it. Let me in. So, were you collecting comics when Image came out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who was I, it? Dude? I was working... Um, well, he's a few years younger than us. So I wasn't yeah, yeah. sure. So, I was working in Arizona where I lived. That was the first comic shop that I worked my way into. Where first, I was just going... I didn't know you worked card. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude would be like, I gotta go get lunch, man. Would you mind doing the register? And I'd have his little cash bag. And that's when... I don't know if I... It was a crime. But somebody came in. Like, he, he didn't ever authorize me to buy back issues from people. Somebody came in with a vintage... Was it 57? First appearance of the Vision? I think so, yeah. Somebody came in with it, and they had no fucking clue what they had. So I, and I did, and I was, I was a young lad, but I knew. So I think I paid me like 15 bucks for it. And then I bought it from the shop whenever he came in. So, and unfortunately I lost the first, I had the first appearance of the vision. Gone. Mm. You know what? You, hey, let me put it to you this way. Whatever it's worth now, 
You need to fucking buy that shit before Age of Ultron before comes out. Ultron yeah. Because that shit's um, going to blow. So, wait, but so, so I, I was helping out there at that shop when Image exploded. That's why I know that when Spawn 1 came out. Yeah. It was proportionally that much bigger than Youngblood it then? It was huge. Youngblood was big. Savage Dragon was big. Spawn was ridiculous. I just remember everybody was just packed in there trying to get Spawn number one. Well, at that time, uh, Savage Dragon, get- I mean, uh, at that time, McFarlane was arguably the top artist. It was him and Jim Lee fighting it out over who was going to be named top artist. Yeah, nobody gave a shit about Wildcats or whatever. Well, Wildcats came out kind of late, it too. It, I, I, it was a little bit behind the rest of them because Jim Lee was still working on X-Men and he was transitioning yeah, he was out. Sort of like, yeah, so I don't think it came in. Here. So they make all those X-Men money. So. Yeah. It was a good looking book, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jim Lynn, Beast Mode. Like, I remember well, when McFarland's Toys came out, I remember there was a huge rush to go to Toys R Us. Didn't you have some of them at your show? Well, I mean, it helped yeah, to blow up the speculator market. Oh, yeah, yeah. because they did in the box. There was they had one like special, one, yeah. Uh, or whatever, and people had to fucking try and get them. Image was crazy about this. I remember there was a comic book store in Almeida Mall, and they had the giant size brass issue, or they had the giant size some comic that was rare, and they had the violator figure that was gold plated. Oh the, yeah, or yeah. the clear violator. People were buying those things left or right. I remember thinking that's crazy. People were paying like forty bucks for a toy. That was during the big speculation boom because what happened is as the comic industry was busting, as the sports cars had already gone bust, they were looking for the next fad to jump onto, and they fucking hit those toys and. The toys were huge why, for a while there. That was why, well, even, even went to the, the Power Rangers shit. Remember, too, the Power Rangers were fucking crazy. That was when the Elmo stuff was coming out. Oh, because you couldn't yeah. get all the Power Rangers. They were trying to buy it. It was probably the exact same mold with different colors. Megazord or whatever, yeah. and you had to put all that shit together. And then there was one giant one that you could buy that was all the shit together. Because I remember I was at something that my mother was doing. She was for radio station at the time, and one of the main prizes was that. And I know when they bust that shit out and had it on the table as one of the prizes, fucking everybody freaked. We have to get that for our kids because if you can't get it, it's like impossible. So that was partially why Marvel ended up buying Toy Biz or whatever, and that shit burst on them. And- yeah. Well, it's funny because I think Marvel bought Toy Biz, and then Toy Biz turned around and bought Marvel or some shit. It got weird for a while there. All the fucking weight, all that currency moving in all these different directions. Yeah. Terrible, terrible fucking stuff. Fucking show yeah, game. People understand how crazy it is. It's kind of hard to explain trading card mania and people buying full boxes of shit when it comes out. Because that stuff doesn't really exist anymore. I don't know if that's or true. Kinda, people have really gotten nuts over Legos, for instance. Oh, yes. In my house, yeah. It's okay, all about the There's always a fad. Kids have like the... Yeah, kids have... What is it? I don't want to say Zoolander, but it's like uh, <laughs> something Landers or some shit. But yeah, I guess it's the same kind of deal, too. They find a way to Well, they're fads. You're right. They come in, they come out. When Image hit, there was like a bomb going off. Everybody bought everything Image. Yeah, I- Image was different. I remember going to Phoenix Comics, and they had a shelf. The top shelf, which is nothing but spark. She won. The next one was Savage Dragon number one. And of course, it was a big deal. What printing is it? Is it the first printing? I remember yeah. seeing books like seventh, the seventh or eighth printing. And people were like, well, it's not really worth any money. I'm like... Okay, I mean, it was... it was. Well, no, funny. but there were also people who bought each printing to make sure they had a complete set of various things. Yeah. Crazy. Minimum wage! Yeah! I was a Marvel kid, and they ran me off of Marvel by becoming a bunch of money-hungry scumbags. I've always tended to blame Tom DeFalco because he was a guy who's willing to totally work with all those venture capitalists and shit and just milk Marvel fucking dry. So I hated fucking Marvel. 
And then after I left Marvel, I was passing about trying to look for another company. I didn't really think it was DC. I only was reading certain DC books. And so I was trying a lot of the other publishers. I tried Ultraverse. I tried Dark Horse Comics Race World. I was in the Image, and obviously Image ended up burning me. And I tried a lot of independent stuff. And I definitely found the indie stuff rewarding. But as a kid, some of that stuff was more mature than what I could appreciate. 8-Ball was a little bit too much for me to handle. Some of the stuff just didn't come out for very long. It was hard to keep independent comics going back in the 90s, unless you were like Peter baggy and I read Hate from when I discovered the book in the mid-teens through the end of its run. And one of the ones I stumbled across was Minimum Wage by Bob Fingerman. It was semi-autobiographical. He's Bob. He's writing a character named Rob who is working for porn magazines, a kitty humor magazine, various magazine publications. And Bob Fingerman, meanwhile, was doing uh, illustrations for Penthouse, I think. He was working at Crack Magazine. Obviously, there was a lot of parallels between his real life and what he was writing into the minimum wage book. It had great verisimilitude. You got a sense of this being this guy talking about his life and his experiences as a freelance artist in New York in the mid-90s. I enjoyed it immensely. Unfortunately, the book only ran for about nine or 11 issues. From when I discovered it. I bought all but one of the issues up through the end of it. I just could never find the original issue number one to save my life. Nobody ever had it. You go to a convention, who the hell's got minimum wage back issues? It was a really entertaining book. It spoke to me as a young man. I wasn't sure how it would hold up revisiting it. Because I never had that first issue, I ended up ordering a trade paperback that I thought was going to collect the early issues of minimum wage. Crack open this book and I start reading it, and it turns out that it wasn't a trade paperback. It was a graphic novel that existed prior to the ongoing series. So I'm reading this thing in the middle of the night, it's like an explosion of nostalgia in my brain. But it's not like, you know, that 80s show or some shit where everybody's running around going, look at this ridiculous cell phone. I can run this thing off my car battery. It's not that fake-ass like retrospective shit. Genuine. Yeah, it's like this is a guy who's yeah. working in his time. Everybody's dressing in button-fly jeans or they got Doc Martin yeah. shoes. You've got Riot Girls. You've got all this shit from the 90s. All of a sudden, I just remembered all this shit that I experienced in the 90s. And it was so great to just soak up that era. But also, I really enjoyed the story. I kicked it over to you guys, and you guys have never read this material before. Mac, do you remember the basics of the story? We mean, what do you mean, basics of the story? The graphic novel. What the, what the main story was in the graphic novel. It's weird, but I don't, wasn't there really a story? It's it, it basically a series of events. It's, yeah, uh, very Seinfeld. Somewhat Seinfeld, yeah, I'm sure. Seinfeld kind of a comic book about nothing. The main spine is that the artist Rob and his Italian bipolar girlfriend Sylvia have decided that they want to move in together and they're trying to find an apartment on their budget in New York City with him being a freelance artist, which leasers see as being unemployed or self-employed and they find him very undesirable so they're trying to find ways to get a decent apartment without exposing him as being a freelance artist and meanwhile he's got his roommate Jack who is a fairly normal guy but the describe is an evil an evil of a diet where he sees a kosher restaurant across the street where they're butchering cows and he decides to buy some brains and eat the cow brains just to see what it tastes like and he likes the taste but he can't stand the texture so it makes him feel ill then later on he keeps eating it and he's having conflicted emotions over his roommate that he's fond of. Bob goes out for a bros night out at a nightclub with a couple of his friends. They're trying to pick up women and mostly failing miserably. One of his friends gives another ecstasy to try to help loosen them up so he can pick up girls. He actually drops the tablet in the toilet and he's trying to act like he's on ecstasy. Yeah. It's just not working out for him. It's a book about the conversations you have with your friends, the situations you find yourself in as a young person in a very specific time period. Well, I mean, even some of the relationships that they get into... The, the, his awkwardness at these parties where he's running into these people who freaking hates 
but he has to kind of keep up appearances because they're friends of friends and everybody else. Or, or they're friends of publishers that he has to work yeah, with. Yeah, working a job that he knows is beneath him, but he's got to pay his bills. And, um, and it's funny, too, because he openly admits, oh, yeah, I hacked this out. And then there's another guy who's a great artist that doesn't hack it out, even though he's not making any money because he's a more of a pure artist. And Rob's like, yeah, but I don't have time to keep up with that. But he's clicked about wanting to do more quality work and realizing that it's not the right venue. And he's not making enough money to do it. And he's even got Sylvia, who he obviously has strong feelings for, but her brother's a douchebag and he can't stand him. And there was a great line where they're talking about Vinny, her brother. He's talking to, I think it's Vinny's girlfriend. So she's saying about Vinny. Vinny He's going to be the next Steven Spielberg, but he won't sell out. Rob says, I don't know, Vin. Ancillary merchandise is where the bucks are. I mean, what fun would Schindler's List be without some cool action figures? And, like, none of them got the joke. I, I love stuff like that, where yeah. they don't really I feel that way, where I'm able to make those jokes to people, and they just totally don't get it, because you're just talking to, essentially, a lower life form, right? Like, you can tell, <laughs> you, 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 you can tell you're about to drop a joke on somebody that they're not going to get. It, you're you not know. trying to be arrogant, but somehow it's right. hard to miss a 30-point disparity in IQ. I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was great. I have references to page numbers in here that I can't reference, because I'll have the book. They go to an SM party, and I love the shit. He's like, some fucking nervous place has not serving booze. How am I supposed to watch this sick shit sober? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one where his obese, greasy, tatted up boss is being turned into a submissive, and they do some pretty deviant shit on stage with a great reaction shot from Rob. Did you get that far in the book? Yeah, let's talk to you, Joe. How far did you get? About a third into the book. What didn't you like about it? Not Was the art so an issue? No, I mean, the art's fine. If you're into this medium, you're always going to run into all kinds of art. I really enjoyed the art. I thought, I thought his, his particular manner of cartooning was very accessible and very pleasing to the eye and very much reflected that era. I just couldn't get it to the book. And, you know, I read off-topic stuff, too. I don't always read superhero stuff. Some of the independent stuff I like is a little different. Than I was it just too it. talky? Not, not no, no, I like dialogue. I like, you know, some of the, my favorite writers is because of the dialogue. Maybe it's it just characters? the wrong time for me to read this. Sometimes you got to be in the right mind frame to read something where it'll speak to you more. And I maybe I'm just not in that mind frame. But what I read so far was fine. It never leapt out to me like, oh, wow, I can't, read to, I can't wait to read the next page. And I'm just reading it, taking it in. Looking at the atmosphere of the book, I got the Seinfeld feel from it right off the start. It felt like it had no point to it, which is fine. You don't always need a point A to point B. Sometimes you just want that conversation piece. I'll have to revisit it another time. Or maybe I'm in the right frame. Now, the artwork is fine, and they do touch on some touchy subjects. I do like the Galbraith part, and the characters are interesting. Plus, I'm reading like a whole lot of shit right now. I love this. There's this great scene where... Fuck, keep forgetting Rob and what's his, what's his girlfriend? Sylvia? They're walking through the burrows and they're trying to find some shit to do. They walk by a comic book shop and Rob's like, you mind if I get my fix? Like, I gotta go in and get my fix. Sylvia's just like, do I have to come in? I always feel like a fucking trophy in there. They're always thinking, ooh, look, he bagged a woman. And Rob takes exception to that and says, oh, come on, that's absurd. I mean, I'm the first one to go on about how the vast majority of comic shoppers are unlaid, unwashed social retards. But I don't think anyone looks at you like you're some kind of fucking prize. And she's like... Oh, thank you. And he's like, that's not what I meant. You know what I mean? Like, like, and it worked kind of the same way too. We never been to a comic con and sat around and did nothing but make fun of all yeah. the retards that are there when we are ourselves retards sitting at a comic con. So Higher class, though. Higher class. Right. right. Well, we're, 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 we're a different class of social retard, and that's what he's doing. So he's like, look, I know, but I got to get my comic books. I don't know. I think you you should have kept reading. Well, like I said, I have to revisit it. I'm not gonna say I'll never read it. Maybe kind of need it to cleanse my palate after because right now I'm reading Scout, and that's eight trades. 
Well, see, yeah, but here's the problem is me, I read this book six months ago and so thoroughly enjoyed it that I wanted to start this independent comics podcast based on this story. Mac read it four months ago and took notes that he's trying to recover now, even though he doesn't have the exact volume, because this is one of the things that's tricky with this book. The book originally came out from Fantagraphics. Well, see, that was another thing I asked you, because we're looking at this big... The big trade here. And I felt like when I started reading it, I was missing something. And I'll explain that to you. What happened was Fantagraphics put out the book originally back in the 90s. They put out the graphic novel. They put out an actual trade paperback. They collected the first four or six issues of it. And they published the original stories. In the early 2000s, Bob Fingerman wasn't happy with the material as far as how it was drawn. And he wanted to repackage it. He re-edited material from, or actually he redrew material from the graphic novel and the first issue of the ongoing series. And he Compressed the information in those two books into a, a few pages, like maybe five pages or so, where originally it was something like 50 some odd pages, 70 some odd pages of material. Then he also redraws and re edits material that he'd done previously to turn it into his entire series, minimum wage, into a single volume called Beg the Question. That was sold in bookstores, and I guess he did okay with that. And then that was all they did with the minimum wage material for about a decade or so. Then Image Comics published this new volume. It's an oversized hardcover that collects everything. It it has the entire ongoing series, but Bob Fingerman's preferred presentation was the Beg the Question version. The front portion of the book has the Beg the Question version of the material. Then you get to the back matter, and they've got all the back covers that were drawn by a variety of famous artists. They have the original graphic novel in its unabridged form, and they have the original version of the first issue. But in order to find that, you have to flip to the back of the hardcover, maximum mm. minimum wage, to see that. I loaned you the graphic novel, the original yeah. graphics one, and that's what Mac, I believe, read the first time as well. And then I loaned him the hardcover and he started going through that as well and he had some of that same confusion as you because some of the stories were told a couple or three times at various points in the collection because it's different versions of the same material and often drawn and rewritten at different times. Like I said, it just felt like I started reading something at issue three. Like I was missing something at the beginning. Well, it's very gradually introducing you to the characters and it's giving you a sense of jumping into a random day in this guy's life. It's somewhat momentous because at the end it's about taking his relationship with his significant other Sylvia to the next level by trying to get an apartment together. The apartment hunting doesn't actually happen until the first issue of the Minimum Wage ongoing series. And the graphic novel is just about dealing with the repercussions of the decision of Rob and that's about. further on in the book, right? Yeah, about. most of it is just Rob interacting with various people and like giving you a slice of his life. And wearing Mystery Science Theater 3000 shirts and fucking Nine Inch Nail shirts. Yeah, yeah. It really is a blast from the past. They, and don't, not, they don't beat you over the head with it. Because it's because contemporaneous. It period. It happened yeah. then. So it I just it was great. And then at the same time, for instance, I I mentioned that, that little scene in the comic book shop where they walk in and the, the chick behind the counter is just shit in her face with. Yeah. And uh And I didn't notice until I was flipping through it just now, but there is a tit slip in there. And Sylvia's all pissed off because she perceives the retailer as flirting with Rob and vice versa. And she's like, Oh, so that's why you wanted to come into this comic book store because he gets to work he gets to drop it, he gets a professional discount because mm-hmm. he's a pro. And then she calls him on, no, you're only in there flirting. You know what I mean? It, that's real shit. Yeah. Shit fucking happens. Yeah. Somebody catches you looking too long or something like that. It's, it, it happens. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I just I like it because it does reflect reality. It does reflect the kind of life that we've real. lived, I think. Because you're dumb fucking friends. You and you, you find yourself in these very bizarre situations or hang out with people you don't like mm-hmm. because because they like them or whatever. And so and you can just see the shit going through his head about, oh, my God, what a... I wish they had alcohol here to get me through this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's like that great scene where Rob's going to come over and visit two of his friends. 
And the two friends are arguing about why is Rob coming. We love Rob and all, but we're going to go out and try to pick up women. He's got a woman. Why is he even getting involved with that? And the one friend's like, no, he just wants to hang out with us. He loves spending time with us. He's not that big of a deal. And But it's okay. We're still going to get us some pussy tonight. Yeah, rock. And they high-fiving each other. And then their personal thoughts like, yeah, we're going to go out and we're not going to get laid. And it's going to be fucking miserable. And why do we keep doing this to ourselves? Who hasn't had that kind of situation in their own lives? I, obviously, I couldn't identify with every single story in this book because they, they get you know with some menage a trois shit and stuff. Like yeah, that. I'm, I'm the guy who has more sex shop porno experiences professionally. Yeah. So, so but but there's enough. Well, even then though, I'm like shit. That probably happened to the friend, right? You know, I, I can sit there. <laughs> right. and, you know, I, I can. I, I've heard the stories, right? You know, I, I hear these these stories. And then again, the fact that it took place. You know, the music references and things like that. I, I, I just really enjoyed it. Thought it was great. And this is really my first. I haven't read a lot of independent, non superhero y shit. This is not in any way superhero y. Freaking Elvis Costello posted yeah. on Good stuff. And the presentation, if you pick up Maximum Minimum Wage, it's a damn good-looking book. Glossy, heavy stock pages, the blacks. It's a black and white story, but the richness of the inks, the pages are so bright that you have a strong contrast. Being in the oversized format, you get a good look at the art. Even though it's cartoony art, it's still heavily detailed. There's lots of little stuff going on in the background. It's worthwhile to pick it up in that particular presentation. But if you want to read the unadulterated version, know that you're going to have to play sort of choose-your-own-adventure game with the table of contents. It's going to be weird editing this, because my original thought was we were just going to end up doing minimum wage and that'll be the first episode and now I think we're going to edit that image shit you know those tangential conversations into there and uh like free flow, I like that. Yeah, no, it's good. And the thing well, is, too, it's a little too free flow. We were going into no, but see, GI that, Joe, <laughs> but see that, but see that, that to me is the, that to me is what probably our listeners like because then they could actually be sitting in a car. That's and like, all Rolls Fine's going to be is that kind of random fucking bullshit. Once but, I actually get that done, but see, I think people like that because they can sit there and it's like they're sitting with the buddies. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, no, definitely. There are like people, people who really who sit there and just discuss independent comics and that's it. Yeah, that's more informative. We're the guys you throw in your radio because you're doing something. You just want to hear your friends talking in the yeah. background of bullshit. Well, that, that, and that's what the editing is for. The editing is to take more natural free flow conversations and keep it on topic. But one thing that's good about that too is I don't tend, when we, when I just have a long period of us talking about the same shit, I just let it run. I don't try to edit that shit very much. I mean, I edit it to clean it up, but I don't try to get all like artsy with it and shit. Mm-hmm. When I'm jumping around from place to place and I need transitions, that's when I start putting in songs and putting out little random bits. And people will enjoy that. It's work. And I only do it because I need those transitions for the conversation to make sense or for you to know that we're going from one place to another without just the boring ass fade out, fade in. But people really like it. So when I'm inspired to get in there and do that because I have to because of the, wow, the content works, the show comes out better. So sometimes I need that push to put the extra work in to make the show better. thinking that fucking Hulk's gonna drop out of the sky. Think of fucking people that you know and situations that you've been in. And yeah, there's white people problems, man. Like, I didn't do it. really not white people problems. You need to read more of the fucking book. I, I've read... Uh, what's his name? The 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 brothers. Um, Los Brothers Gilbert... Uh, Gilbert and Jaime yeah. Hernandez. Now, there's stuff I can read and I actually like this shit. This this is is was that uh, Love and Rockets? Love and Rockets is fucking fantastic. It's just I've read them out of order which kind of ruined it for me. This is people who think their job shit. It's people who are in complicated relationship shit. This is trying to find an apartment when you've got weird fucking jobs. Hello, former comic book retailer, mm. 
slash porn shop. And I would never say anything about Frank as our white people. <laughs> That's fucking lazy shit, dude. No, dude, that, I, I don't I, understand dude, I white people shit. That's... I couldn't get into it. I, I read Love and Rockets, and that speaks to me. Like, I can read that. Fucking well, how about Los Brothers Hernandez speaks to you, Jose yep. Fix It? Yep. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Actually, their Luna series spoke more to me. Love and Rockets is pretty good. I like the characters. The artwork is fucking clean as shit, too. I'm not trying to bust your balls. I, and honestly, I have not read enough of those guys. Oh, you need to. I've had, I've had little experiences with them here and there. I tried to get into them when I was younger, and they didn't really speak to me. But I know they're capable of some great material, and obviously, they're much revered, much heralded. So I need to jump into it. But the problem is, is when you've got guys who've been working on this material for 35 years, whatever it's been since Love and Rockets first started, it's yeah, hard like to figure out where to jump in. Yeah. See, I made the mistake of reading like trade three, four, six, and I was confused for a long time until someone told me, no, that should come in order. Because I used to get up in the library and the numbers were covered. So I didn't know what I was reading. I would right. start reading it. I actually started reading the Luna series, which is pretty good. Luba. Luba. They are Luba. Yeah. I actually bought the first issue of her solo comic back in the day, and it didn't. Well, I didn't. Well, I didn't follow it at all. I didn't understand what the hell I was reading. Well, like I said, I mean, I will revisit this. I just she won't the hammer, it. right? Huh? Won't the hammer? No. Who has the hammer? That's uh, I can't think of it right now. Guys is a rolled spine podcast. All references to copyrighted works and audio clips employed are believed covered under fair use, with no infringement intended against their copyright holders. The views expressed in this podcast are assumed legitimate, truthful, and solely possessed by the speaker.